John uh, chapter 15. I'm going to read the first eight verses. Now, this is a pretty familiar part of Jesus's teaching. Um, and let me just, I'll start off by saying it's a metaphor that he uses here. Okay, if you're not clear, it's a metaphor. And so as with every metaphor or every picture or illustration in Scripture, you could take it all the way down over here and say there's a whole bunch of stuff, but every metaphor has limitations. Okay, it is just a picture. And if anything, if you think about and remember one of the great things about um, particularly the Hebrews and, and Jesus who was born a Hebrew, they, their thought pattern was not in words. Ours is often in words. Theirs was, theirs was pictures. So they, they communicated by story. And when, you, when Jesus told stories, people saw pictures and they recognised themselves in those pictures. So one of the things when you're reading through the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you've got to remember that when they were originally written, they were written generally by Jews or by Hebrews. And so they wrote it with the purpose of trying to express ideas, concepts, pictures of what the kingdom of God looked like. So that's why you get a whole bunch of different metaphors and different Im imagery across the Scriptures. There's lots of different things that overlap that maybe seem to contradict each other um, at times because that picture doesn't quite align with this picture. It doesn't mean that they're one's wrong and one's right. It just means you're using different pictures of the same thing. Because you and I know uh, in your own personal experience, even if you're like, listen, example, if you're married right now, you know that your spouse and you view things differently. Is that, is that a fair comment? You can have the same experience and yet both of you see or experience it differently. Um, like for me, just the other day, I'm, I'm driving off the expressway uh, at, at Pawatahanui um, and coming into a roundabout and, and there's a car approaching from my right-hand side and the rules of the road say I'm meant to give way to them. My wife next to me doesn't think I'm giving way, so she comments. Anyway, and I'm going, there is no danger at all in this situation because we have two lanes. They're on the inside right-hand lane. I can take the left-hand lane and it's quite legal and quite safe. She views the thing completely differently, all right? And, and that's what I mean. Same experience, different views. And that's what you get in Scripture is you get different takes and different experiences and different views of those experiences because if you ask anyone who's involved with taking eyewitness statements, you can have uh, nine people viewing, and I'm just randomly picking a number, uh, the same incident and you'll have 12 different stories. <laughs> depending on when you spoke to them. Because given enough time, your story changes of how you saw that incident, right? And so... That's, that's what you see going on in Scripture. So when, when I try to unpack a piece of imagery like this particular passage in John 15, please remember it is a, it is a picture, it is an, a, a metaphor, it is an image that Jesus is using to try and communicate some principles or some ideas for us about our relationship with Him. And so I'm going to touch on a little bit of this today. Um, but I'm super conscious it's a massive topic and it could go on for a few few sessions. 
So here we are in John 15, that's my intro, uh, verse 1. And I'm going to read it out of the New King James Version. All right. So this is a bit of older language. I'll come back and refer to some in a, a, a newer translation in a little bit. Verse 1, John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them up and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide with me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you be a much fruit, so you will be my disciples. All right, so... Basic understanding, Jesus, in this imagery, Jesus calls himself the vine. The true, the word the true there is, is, would be translated the authentic, the real vine. Implied in that is there are potentially other vines that you can connect to. That's the implication. When he says, I am the true vine. I'm the authentic one, the source of all things. That's the idea. And my father is the gardener or the vine dresser or the person who looks after the vine and the grapes that it produces. Now, the goal of any vine dresser or anyone who farms grapes is to produce grapes. Is that clear? It's not to produce a beautiful green leafy plant that grows wildly all over the place, which was my grapevine at my old house because I didn't know how to look after a grapevine. So I just left it and hoped that it would produce some fruit at some stage. And it happened to do that quite regularly. And I had a great neighbour who it grew over his side and he often pruned it for me. So that was even better. But I didn't, I didn't know how to do it. But people who know how to look after grapevines tell me there's quite a science to it, looking after a grapevine. One of the things that I've heard this story uh, told in in and one of my experiences, I've heard this taught, and it goes on this next bit, and it says, talks about pruning, and it talks about being cut off. And, and always in the teaching I've heard is this idea that uh, if you're not bearing fruit, God cuts you off. It's, it's actually a terrible translation, by the way. The original Greek does not say cut off. And, and in this translation of New King James, he says he takes away. If you go back into the original Greek, it's actually this idea of lifting or propping up. So it's this idea that if, if, you're, a, if you're someone who's looking after a grapevine, generally your branches, you don't, cut them off because if you cut them off, you actually grow no fruit because the branch is where 
the fruit growing pieces, and I do have a diagram, I think, somewhere. Do we have that diagram? Did you get that? Look at that. Oh. For those of you who know about vines, this is how it works. So you've got there is the, the vine, the rootstock at the bottom there. And then there's a trunk. And then it comes out into what are called cordons, but we would call those branches is probably the idea. So those branches are attached to the rootstock. And then off those come the idea of these things called canes. And on those canes is where the fruit grows. Um, on the left side of that picture, you'll see that there's no canes. And on the right side, there is. On the left side, that's when it's been pruned. So if you notice there, when you're pruning it, there's no removal of a branch. In fact, all my reading of grapevines is that they require to be healthy. They require a structure on which they are um, attached so that they don't, the branches don't hang on the ground. Because if they hang on the ground and end up on the ground, they rot because of the moisture. And actually what you need is those branches to be lifted, to be lifted and propped up, not left hanging free with no support. So when we read in this passage that Jesus says he'll take it, in this, but it says that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The idea being, if you're struggling to bear fruit, it's probably because you need some structure and support around you. And so that's what God does. He lifts you. He carries you in the moment when you need it most. And that's the imagery we've got all through Scripture, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me into green pastures and by still waters. The idea is that there's a shepherd who's looking after us and who takes us to places where we need to be. And it's the same way in this imagery. God never wants to cut you off. That is not as a vine dresser. If you start cutting the branches, you end up with no fruit. And even worse than that, what ends up happening is it affects your rootstock. If the rootstock has nowhere to go in terms of the goodness it's sourcing out of the ground, then it actually begins to die itself. So when you have rootstock, you have to graft something more into it to give it something to continue to grow through. So as a vine dresser, let's just take this literally for a minute. Why would God cut you off just because you're not fruitful? That seems counterintuitive to me and definitely not God's heart. My understanding of God as a good father is he's going to come along someone side a branch that's struggling and maybe drooping on the ground and he's going to come along and lift you and train you into the appropriate place so that you can produce the canes and produce the fruit that he knows you're capable of. I think that's great news. Fantastic news. In fact, let's go a bit further. In verse 2, the first statement is every branch in me. Every branch in me. So you as a branch are in Jesus already. The idea of him cutting himself off because you're in him just doesn't even compute, right? 
If you're a branch in Christ, if he cuts you off, he's cutting himself. That doesn't make sense. Bad translation. Really helpful for us. He takes away. Now the word, the idea of the, this translation uses the phrase takes away. That is another word, another way that it could be translated, that particular word. It's the same word as when Jesus in the, the chapter before in John 14, he talks about the fact he's going away to prepare a place and when he's ready, he'll come and take you to be with him. It's that same word. In other words, he wants to be where you are, so he'll take you to be with him if you're struggling. It doesn't mean he's going to take you away from the rootstock. It means he's going to take you away to be closer to him. It's a bit like the idea that, you know, Jesus talks about the shepherd going after the one that's lost. The idea that Jesus wants to wrap himself around people that are hurting and struggling and are drooping, not cut us off. And this is all this idea of the vine. So that's point number one, and I'm almost out of time. Second one, I just want to correct some stuff here. Pruning. So the thing that happens in pruning, if you want to bring that picture back up of the vine, the pruning happens on the pieces, the canes, the pieces that produce the fruit. Now these, for these to grow fruit, they need to be a year old. So on your vine, when it's growing... If you've got fresh shoots, you've got to let those harden a year before they'll produce good fruit. And then once they've produced fruit, generally they get pruned back to those little nodules again. So every year in, in June, generally, there's a system where someone goes through and prunes off all of those bits that have produced fruit to allow new fruit to come up, new spurs to grow, new canes to grow. This is this idea of pruning. It doesn't mean that the branch has left the rootstock. It's the idea that actually there are bits of you that need to be pruned because they've already produced fruit. And for them to continue to produce fruit, they need to be pruned back. And that happens because it's necessary for the health of the, the plant and for your health. It's not a negative thing, it's an incredibly positive thing. Sometimes it can hurt, absolutely. The word that's used there in, in the Greek that's used the word prune can also mean cleansing, which is why if you have a look at the verse uh, in verse 3, it doesn't seem to make sense because it goes from verse 2 where it talks about every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit and then he uses the the translation says, you are already clean. So the idea of pruning and cleaning is in there. But the idea is that because of Jesus flowing through you, you're already cleansed or you're already pruned. There's stuff going on in your relationship with God that, that creates an ability for fruitfulness. God wants you to be clean. He wants you to be pruned so that you can produce more fruit. Ephesians 5 verse 26 refers to this and, and again some other imagery about 
our relationship with God is he, he uses the imagery of um, in, a, in a marriage relationship. And he, and he images there that we are Christ's bride and that there is cleansing that takes place, that Christ cleanses his church by the washing of the water with, of the word. This idea that you and I, in our relationship with Jesus, by allowing him to flow through us, by being connected to the rootstock, there's naturally something that happens in our lives that cleanses and prunes us. It's not something that we have to work at. It's something that happens naturally due to the connection with the vine. I really love this whole imagery and this idea that it's my connection with the vine, my union with Christ that produces the fruit it's the thing that cleanses me. It's the thing that prunes me. It's the thing that enables me to be the, God, be the person that God's called me to be. It's not something of, of you and I struggling and, and trying to do stuff. If you look at this, this picture, there is no way that any plant ever forces growth. You and I can't force fruit to grow. The fruit comes naturally because of the goodness and the nutrients that are flowing up from the ground through us uh, and into the fruit that we produce in our lives. The union that we have, the relationship we have with the vine is the key to this whole imagery. It carries on in, in, in verse 5, and it says, um, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. This idea of abiding. abiding. I want to read that same, uh, same verse, so that's verse 5. I want to read that out of uh, the Passion Translation. And it says, I am the sprouting, sprouting blah, 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 something. I am the sprouting vine, and you are my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. There's this idea in this imagery that the only way that you are separated from the vine is if you choose to separate yourself. Does that make sense? I just want to make this really clear. The Father never separates you from Jesus. Never. The vine dresser never separates you from the vine. But there is always the room for you to choose to separate yourself. See, God, and I've said this before, God in all of his amazing grace and mercy leaves us always with a real choice. It's never a fake choice where actually you can, where he sort of sets up this fake idea that you choose, but actually you don't choose because it's all geared towards you choosing that anyway because this one's not a real choice. God always gives us a real choice. Hence the whole creation story of Adam and Eve and the two trees in the garden. 
Like some people will go, well, why did God even create a tree that you weren't meant to eat of? That's a bit mean, isn't it? Well, actually, no, it's incredibly gracious and merciful because he has always given us choice and real choice with consequences that follow from those choices. Not because he's mean, but because he's loving and he wants us to choose to be with him, not be forced to be with him. Right? That you and I want to choose to be connected to Jesus as our source. And if at any stage we decide, actually, I don't want anything to do with that anymore, then we, in His grace and His mercy, we get what we choose. I love the fact that He's always willing to regraft things. In this one, it says there's a time period. <laughs> it says you separated, then you moved away, and then you have a chance to wither and die. And then something happens. There's always a time in there where God is gracious and merciful, and I believe He grafts people back in. But I want to finish on this particular point about the abiding in me. This is a basic, um, probably not a, this is a foundational belief of the process of becoming a Christian. Is that when you choose to follow Jesus, when you choose, there's a whole bunch of language around this, when you choose to ask him into your heart, when you choose to repent of your sin and ask for forgiveness, when you choose to say yes to the infinite possibilities that are available to you through Jesus, when you choose to open your heart to some sort of awareness that God exists and he wants to have relationship with you, whatever language you might use that gives you access to that, when you choose that, God fuses himself to you. You become part of the grapevine to the point where no one can really determine where God starts or where Jesus starts in your life and when you start. This idea that we become one with Jesus, where He is in us and we are in Him. Like, I've spent a bit of time thinking about what that looks like and what that feels like and how that can actually work. And what I've come to realise, the only thing that really enables me to access the truth of that is when I just accept it as being true in faith. Because my mind doesn't comprehend how I can be in Christ and Him and me and all of that mixed up when I know and you and I know that I am less than perfect, less than good enough, less than the perfection that we find in Jesus. And yet somehow Jesus says, you'll do. I'll take you, I want you, I want to blend my life with you, I want to make you mine and me yours. 
in spite of all that, God chooses to do that. I just have to go, okay. (laughs) I'll let you sort out the details of how that works. I just accept it by faith. And then I commit myself to the journey of what it means to abide in Christ. What it means to have union with Him. What it means to have so much of an understanding that my life source is found only in Jesus. That if I want to be the best me with all of the fruit that I can produce, that all of the infinite possibilities that God has given me, the only way I can walk into that is through my connection and my relationship with Jesus. So my question that comes out of that, how's your connection with Jesus going? We talked about in youth on Friday night the fact that um, you know, that we were designed for connection with other human beings and with God. It's, it's really interesting how we find it easy to talk about our connection and our relationships with other people, but talking about our relationship with God can be a whole nother challenge. And we talked about it in our life group, about the challenge of talking about a relationship with God when He's not tangible and he's not physically there. How do you have a relationship with someone who's invisible to you? It's really easy to have a relationship with someone you physically can see, either a good relationship or a bad one or something in the middle. That's actually quite easy. But it's a whole nother challenge when we're talking about someone that you can't actually sit down with and go, let's have coffee. And so one of the challenges of our life, I think, is how do we live in a way, in in faith, in a relationship with Jesus where He doesn't exist physically? It requires us to be intentional. It requires us to use faith in our connection with Him. Sometimes we don't feel like He's close. I love it in our worship this morning. And, and as we were singing, there's this, this, real, this acknowledgement of as we're worshiping that there may be some people in the room that this is completely like, I have no sense that God's here at all. And, and that that's okay, that you don't feel that. Doesn't mean he's not. Just means that you're in a position at the moment in your journey with Christ where that feeling isn't there. I've had experiences like that where my union, my connection with God in my life, I've been through seasons where it doesn't seem like there's anything there. And one of the things I've learned through those seasons is my relationship with God is never, if, if there's an issue that I'm not feeling something or something's not happening, it's never an issue with God. So I continue to act in faith that he's still there and he's still present and he's still connected to me because I haven't chosen to cut myself off from him and he's never chosen to cut me off. Does that make sense? And so I still put myself in the positions of discipline to say, 
I'm still going to go to church even though I'm not feeling Him because I know that there, by faith, I'm connecting with Him. I'm still going to spend time in my day where I deliberately set aside time to spend with God, even though I don't feel like He's there. Because by faith, I know He's there and I'm not ruled by my feelings. I'm ruled by faith. Because if God said He's the vine and I'm the branches and if I'm abiding in Him, He's abiding in me, then that's the truth. No matter what else I may be feeling or what people have said or anything like that, that is the truth. And so I'm going to put myself in situations where by faith, I'm working as if that's true. And my experience in my personal life is I have had seasons when it has been, and I, 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 haven't, I won't put a time frame on it because as soon as you put a time frame on it, everyone thinks that's how long. Sometimes it's been a week. Sometimes it's been multiple months where I have felt like God is absent and I'm not hearing Him speak to me and I'm not feeling His presence and I'm not experiencing the flow in my, my thinking of, of my relationship with Him. And I've had to lean into faith and say, doesn't matter what I'm feeling. The truth of the matter is God is connected to me because I have chosen to follow Him. He has never rejected me and He never will, but I can choose to reject Him. And I've not chosen that, therefore He is still present. And sometimes it is the hardest and weirdest things to have coffee with someone when there's no one else there. Have you ever had that? You go to a coffee shop, sit down and no one shows up. I've done that a few times. I still went and ordered my coffee. And one for the person who was not there. And I got to enjoy both. (laughs) But I do it in my relationship with God because if Jesus said he is the vine and I am the branches, then I need to live like that's the truth. And so I, I don't know where you're at in your connection with God today, but I want to encourage you that God is for you. He's not against you. He's done everything through Jesus to set us up to succeed and to be all that he's created us to be. He's done all he can. Part of the journey of of understanding the truth of that, the understanding the union, the unity that we have with God is that there are moments where there will be pruning my experiences of him not being present sometimes are because a piece of me that I used to think was fruitful got cut off. It's not there anymore. And actually what I've learned out of some of those situations where I don't feel his presence is he's actually active in a new area of my life and producing new growth somewhere else. And I'm unaware of it yet. 
But in that process of faith, I discover something that, go, that is going on. Sometimes that takes a long time. Um, where he's actually producing a tail where there wasn't a tail. I've never had a tail before. And sometimes... Is that better? Oh, Sometimes in the journey of Christ, with Christ, things don't go the way we think they should. But one thing I can guarantee you is God is for you, not against you. If you've chosen to follow him, he has intimately connected himself to you to such point that you cannot determine where he starts and when you finish. That will not change unless you make a deliberate and determined effort to disconnect yourself. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you uh, for everyone that's here today. I thank you for your presence with them. I thank you that no matter what's happening in our world, you're wanting us to grow, to be fruitful, to experience the infinite possibilities that we have in you, to be the people you've created us to be. God, I pray for those today that are here, and they're here by faith, but they're not feeling you and not experiencing you. Maybe there are some here this morning who haven't yet made a decision to follow you, God, I pray that you would encourage, that you would wrap your Holy Spirit around each person this morning. That we would be stirred to know that we, we have a God, a creator, who loves us with a never-ending love. Who's for us, who's not against us. Who wants us to be fruitful in every part of our lives. And he wants us to experience the fullness of what it means to be a child of God. To be in union with God. So I bless each one this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.